Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. I thought, so many thoughts have flooded my mind in terms of what to share, um, particularly because we are in transition and this phase is transitionary for us and Every phase of transition um, heightens vulnerability. You see this when animals migrate and herds of animals migrate. You see this on National Geographic when they move. In their movement, their weak and their young are the most vulnerable because predators will prey upon the weak and the young and those stragglers that are left at the back. So the principle is that when you are in transition, to heighten awareness because you are most vulnerable to subtle attacks of the enemy. And so you need to strengthen the weak and to garrison the young. Amen. And so I would, I would, I would urge all of us in this season to, the scripture says in Hebrew, strengthen, strengthen the things that remain, strengthen the weak knees and the, the feeble knees and the weak hands. Okay, strengthen those things. Uh, in other words, be consciously deliberate in how you posture yourself in this time of, of change. Because in any time of change, um, it's usually fraught with uncertainty, like with us. We don't know where to. And uh, because people like fixedness, uh, this will test where your hope is. Your hope should not be in brick and mortar, not in a building. Amen. We, we know we, we desire a new building. And uh, people often associate permanency with a place yet your permanency and your fixedness in god is not in buildings your faith is in a person it's the lord jesus christ amen so i would appeal to you in this time of transition don't lose your assurance your certainty but be fixed and be focused within your heart amen and so that the lord's purposes will always triumph concerning us um i thought to share and we'll start this now I want to continue on, on firstborn, on firstborn <clears throat> principles, and uh, we've, we've started the series in the course of this year, and we've concluded six sessions on the topic um, that span, I think, more than 15 sessions of teaching um, in terms of uh, teaching time. But I want to continue along this path. But I want to incorporate the Passover principle now. I've prepared this some time ago, but didn't feel the release of the Lord to, to release it. Um, this will probably take the whole of December, I'm not sure, um, in terms of when we will conclude it. But I think it's very important for the, the present season. Now, the Passover, the original one, was instituted in Egypt. Israel was in bondage for 430 years by the Egyptians. And God, at a point in time, delivered them. And you've got to understand the motivation of God to release Egypt from Egyptian captivity. 
And I want to remind you, because sometimes we forget these things. People get sidetracked by all the associated drama attendant with the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. Lots of things happening there. It was grand and it was glorious. Um, In terms of the ten plagues, the way God dealt with the power of Egypt, the way God neutralized a very powerful empire and brought forth his people, the scripture says, with a mighty hand. With a mighty hand, he brought them out. And sometimes you can get so sidetracked by the, the might at which God does things that you forget the motivation for which God does things. Right? So don't, don't get caught up by um, the flamboyance of it and lose sight of the purpose of it. Okay? The purpose was this, that God was bringing forth a restored identity to his people. Okay? He was bringing forth and restoring an identity to people who lost their identity. You must recall they were in bondage for 400 and. 30 years. The identity for all that time was slaves. All they knew that we are, we, we, are, we are slaves. There were some kids that were born in Egypt as slaves and died in Egypt as slaves. All they knew was the mentality of, of slavery and not one of, of sonship. And so by the 430th year, you must know, this has been a long established mindset in the people. So in taking them out, God is wanting also to lead them into something. But God has got to break the environment that fosters that mentality. God has crippled Egypt that seeks to encourage slavery. Because God has another gender for his people. Not one that is subject to serving uh, an empire and, and to the dictates of misguided leadership. Not, and let me just say this, as I speak these things, please hear with prophetic eyes. I see with prophetic eyes and hear with prophetic ears because Egypt in the scriptures is largely depicted as a house. Everyone say a house. I'll give you the scriptures shortly. But there are several references to whenever God describes Egypt, he calls Egypt the house of bondage. He says Egypt, the house of bondage. And God would remind his people, especially in the book of Psalms, he would say to them, I brought you out out of Egypt, comma, the house of bondage. Right? The word house there is baith in the Hebrew, and it relates to a household headed by a father with sons. Okay? So it's depictive of a church system, a household. The Greek equivalent is the word oikos. Paul would use the household of faith. So when the scriptures reference Egypt as a house of bondage, it's a, you can look at it in several respects, but it's an economic, political, and or even religious system that holds God's people in bondage and keeps them away from the full expression of their true identity as God's sons. Now, do you not know, and would you not agree, that many, many churches today are houses of bondage? What was meant to liberate is in fact enslaving. What was meant to set free is in fact limiting. What was meant to lead into destiny is in fact stifling and keeping you away from purpose. Now, the Bible says that 
for example, Moses disconnected from that realm. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Right? So is there sonship in Egypt? Yes. Does the principle of fathering and sonship persist in Egypt? Yes. Right? So they, they, they have a, a, a father-son dynamic, operative, but not for liberation, to keep people in great, in great bondage. So in leading God's people out from there, I want to remind you of these scriptures. Some of them you know, but I think we ought to, uh, to reread them again. Uh, Exodus chapter 4, from verses 22 and verse 23. Exodus 4, 22 and 23. Exodus 4, 22 and 23. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, this is God talking to Moses. Notice the motivation for leading them out. God says to Moses, Moses, you shall say to Pharaoh, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Everyone say firstborn. Now, notice terms of reference that God is using in announcing to, to Pharaoh to let his people go. He says, who you got enslaved there is a son. You've made him a slave, but he, Israel, the nation, this is a corporate entity. Sonship is a corporate entity, not a personal one. So the whole nation is ascribed as son. Right? Israel is my son, comma, my firstborn that you are holding captive. So I said to you, let my son go that he might serve me. Some of your versions would say, let my son go that he might worship me. So service to God or worship of God can never ever be experienced whilst in Egypt. Now please listen very carefully. So God comes to the leader of the land and says, let my son go. You are stifling sonship, you are holding sonship captive. Not just sonship, but firstborn sonship. That nation is not just my son, but they are my my firstborn son, so let my son go. Amen? Amen. Everyone say intention. intention. Whenever you think of the deliverance of Israel from Egyptian captivity, which was 430 years, you always think this. God was releasing people out from one um, mentality into a different mentality. Out from slavery and into sonship. Out from misguided purpose, right? Because God says, let them go that they might serve me. So God, they were serving Pharaoh, but God says, I want them to serve my purpose. So God was leading them into a restored identity, and then secondly, into a restored destiny. And I've discussed with you um, at length the link between identity and and destiny. You can't fulfill your destiny if your identity is dented. Right? So who you are is essential to what you must do. If we can restore to you who you are, what you do will be a natural outflow coming out from a sense of established identity. Amen? So ask your neighbor, do you know who you are? Right? You can never ever talk what to do until you first establish who you are. So once you know who you are, then what to do will naturally take care of itself. Okay, the worst thing is to give a noble purpose and a great responsibility to someone who has identity issues. 
right? With someone who's not confident, someone who's not convinced and assured of who they are in themselves. Amen? So God is after a restored identity. Pharaoh, ruler of the sun, his name means. Pharaoh means sun, ruler of the sun. His name also means uh, curtailer. He who stops, he who curtails. It means also destroyer. Pharaoh also means the son of the sun. S-O-N of the S-U-N. Right? You who draws your light from natural things. You who draws your enlightenment, sun enlightenment, revelation, from things of the earth. You who is intent on destroying sonship. Let my people go that they might serve me. And I pray everyone, all of us this morning, will come into a new place of pursued destiny. I want to encourage you. Know who you are and know what you must do. Know who you are and know what you must do. Amen? And I pray that 2015 for many of us will become a purposeful year. You look back on the year and say, I've done things. I've accomplished stuff. I've, I've done the will of the Lord. I can measure it. I, I, can, I, I, can, I can demonstrate it. I've done the will of the Lord. And I pray that 2015 to you will be your most purposeful year yet. Amen? Amen? Tell your neighbor, next year will be purposeful. Amen? It's, you know, we, we've labored much in doctrine, but now it's time for action. Amen? And I foresee a year of tremendous doings of the Lord. Amen? Myself personally, the Lord said to me, get out of the office <laughs> just this morning. Right? I will always study, I will always be devoted to, to, to preparing and studying the word of the Lord because that's my primary calling. But the apostolic demands that things be done. The apostolic demands that things be performed. Amen? It was apostles that stood up on the day of Pentecost and said, this is that, which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. Apostles, let me say prophets. Apostles always want to see things done. Amen? And so I really believe we're coming into a day of tremendous doings of the Lord. Let me read this completely. You shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he might serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, I will kill your firstborn. Firstborn for firstborn. God is saying, you, you keep my firstborn son enslaved, I kill yours. And remember, there were ten plagues. The tenth plague was the final decider in Pharaoh's mind that we said, okay, let them go. When God killed the firstborn of every family and every animal. Please remember, it was firstborn of everything living. So the firstborn goat in your backyard was also died in the process. God was so serious about this. Please remember, in smiting the firstborn, you smite the seed, the genetic seed, the power to procreate, the power to perpetuate, the power to, co to, to continue the line. You break the power of an empire by attacking its firstborn. Call, the, the corollary of that is this, the opposite is this. If I can smite the firstborn, in smiting the firstborn, I neutralize the power of a great empire. Then by, by raising up the firstborn, I entrench the power of an empire. 
So when God says, let my people go, my son go, my firstborn son go, God is saying, I am going to establish my people as a formidable entity and empire in the earth. But anything, any principle that prevents the release of God's firstborn will be dealt with by God very, very, very harshly. And I forget the, the, I think it's Psalm 136. I'm trying to find it in my notes. Just can't seem to locate it now. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll come to it somewhere. But go to Numbers 3 verse 13. Go to Numbers 3 verse 13. For all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself the firstborn in, in Israel from man to beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. So God is saying, when I struck down the firstborn of Egypt, I set apart to myself the firstborn of Israel. In destroying one, he sets the other free. In destroying the firstborn of Egypt, he sets the firstborn of Israel free. Uh, two positions juxtaposed, uh, one to the other. So listen carefully. Whenever God deals judgmentally with the earth, his intent is always to bring his own people into a greater accurate position in terms of who they are. So next time you see the shaking economically, like we had a few years ago, or you see shakings climatologically, or you see uh, uh, shakings in, in medicine or in education or, or in governments, or, and these might be global things. Hebrews says, I will shake the earth and the, the heavens so that those things which remain must remain. And God, whenever he shakes things, he always wants to bring a restored identity to his sons. The emergence of the sons of God in the earth for which the earth is waiting for. All of creation is waiting for what? For the revelation of the sons of God. The earth is waiting for that, but the context in which that will come forth is crisis. Crisis is a kairos. What is seemingly judgmental for the church, it's our greatest hour. So whenever things go wrong in your life, and you might be experiencing a shaking on a family level or a personal level, know that God is up to something. Know that God is wanting to bring forth out from within you a more accurate understanding of who you are in Him. Amen? Uh, nobody who has ever grown in God on a, in a significant way has grown with, from a place of great ease. The people that have grown most accurately and most powerfully all grow from a context of crisis. Crisis could be your greatest growth spurt in God. And so when you look at the, the crisis in Egypt, for the Egyptians it was a crisis, but for Israel it was their kairos, right? Same context, right? For, for the, the, the rain that, that killed the earth in Noah's day, the medium that judged the earth was the same medium that saved Noah. It spelled judgment for one, but it said salvation for another. Water sunk and drowned all the people, but water kept the boat buoyant. Same medium, different experiences. When God judges the earth, please listen to me very carefully. I'm saying this prophetically. 
in your hour of your greatest personal shaking could be the emergence of your greatest restored identity as a son in God. Never look at the shaking of God negatively because God loves his son and he will permit his son, you, to be subject to various processes to bring the best out of you. Amen? So tell your neighbor, your crisis must become your kairos. And the drama in Egypt was, was greater. It was really moving. It was, it was, it was, it was um, great calamity. A lot of destruction everywhere. But God was after the emergence of a restored identity. Firstborn son. And you know, many of you have been through some crazy stuff this year. Hey? Amen? Or Aina? However you look at it. <laughs> Sometimes we look back on these things and we say, wow. But look what the Lord has brought forth in terms of a more solid understanding of my sonship. In terms of who I am in the Lord. Amen. So I want to encourage you that God will restore you. Amen. God will, God will restore. Now, I want, to be, I want to give you some homework. You know, I'm an ex-teacher, so homework's in me to give. <laughs> okay. Please, you must study and we'll pick this up next week. But you must study Exodus chapter 12 very thoroughly. Read the whole chapter. Exodus 12 and study it, uh, study it in, in, great, in great detail. But before, you get, before we get there, I want to give you an understanding, just a brief understanding of what Egypt truly represents. Now please listen, I'm going to rush through this. Um, because it's background to where we want to go. But if you don't understand this, then much of Passover principles will not make sense. Please remember, everyone say Passover. So you pass over. God sees the blood on your doorposts and your lintels, remember? He passes over you. If He passes over you, He's preserving the firstborn in your house. Every other household would know blood. Firstborn is being struck down. Firstborn is being killed. But in the family of God, the firstborn principle is preserved in the Passover. And what was Passover? Passover was the means that facilitated and ignited a signal and end of slavery and a movement into sonship and purpose. That night they left Egypt. Everyone say one night. Right? All they had was one night to make a decision. They celebrated the Passover. And the Passover literally was like uh, somebody starting a race. You know, a race, they, they shoot the gun. Pa! Passover! <laughs> right? The Passover signals something in the spirit. It's time to leave what was a long-standing experience of bondage, of limitation, of misguided purpose, of, of, of a poor identity. Passover signaled. The season has, has, that season has now ended. A new era has now begun. Amen. Amen. Whenever you think of Passover, don't just think because most, the, 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 the typical classical Pentecostal understanding of Passover is so long as you're under the blood, you are immune. That is true. The blood will always protect you. Not so? You will, uh, you will, we are immunized by the blood of the lamb. Not so? The lamb, a male of a year old, was sacrificed on that night, and its blood was taken and covered the doorposts 
anyone in the house, when the angel of death moved over the whole land of Egypt, he saw the blood and he passed over that house. That's where we get the word pass over. But if you only understand it in terms of immunity, in terms of, uh, of, of, of uh, saving you from death, then your understanding is very limited. Because God instituted that this, this Passover celebration will be celebrated every single year for the, rest, for, for the rest of Israel's history to come. Right? They would celebrate it annually. And I tracked this in the week. Whenever it was not celebrated, and as some king like Josiah or, or Hezekiah suddenly discovered the nation's not celebrating it, and he brought it back and he reinstituted it, it always signaled a brand new start for the nation. There was reformation, there was restoration, there was things uh, given back to the nation. So I prophesy over you and over us that as we focus upon Passover principles, it's more than just immunization. I think largely in terms of Passover as principles governing migration. If you're going to put that as a subheading, when you think of Passover, it's principles that govern my forward movement in God. Right? And we're going to discuss all of these principles, possibly by next week we'll start. But for now, just for now, I want to give you a background of what exactly Egypt represents. As I've said to you, Egypt is a house of bondage. Egypt impoverishes the people of God. Right? Now, let me read Exodus 30 and verse 3. Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you were out from Egypt, from the house of slavery, or the house of bondage. By a powerful hand the Lord brought you up out of this place, and nothing leavened shall be eaten. Three verse, Exodus 3.14 It shall be when your sons ask you in time to come, saying, What is this? You shall say to them, With a powerful hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of Slavery. Exodus 20, verse 2. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, the house of bondage. Deuteronomy 5, 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out from the house of bondage. Deuteronomy 6, 12. Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt, out from the house of slavery. Deuteronomy 7, 8, because the Lord your God loved you and he kept the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord brought you out of a, by a mighty hand and he redeemed you from the house of slavery or redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You can, another reference, you can look at Deuteronomy 13, 5, just, uh, just Joshua 24, 17, Judges 6 and verse 8. Okay, etc. Now, characteristics of this house of bondage is what I want to focus on. Everyone say bondage. Now, bondage is a terrible thing. If you under any kind of um, manipulation, any kind of coercion, where your will is taken away from you and you are subject to another, and that, that entity or that person is exploitive. You are in bondage. And I want to encourage you, break all expression of, of bondage. 
Because bondage is a terrible thing. Bondage closes you off to the voice of the Lord. You can be in bondage for so long that bondage becomes a norm. A way of life that you accommodate, it becomes your norm. What is abnormal becomes normal for you because you don't know any other way. Now, like I said, picture a child born in Egyptian slavery as an Israelite. Let's say in the, in the 270th year of the 430 years that they were there. That child would have been born a slave. The, the mother would, be, would have been a slave. The, the grandfather, possibly the great-grandfather. That person would have only been, been raised knowing that, hey, we're here with no will. Uh, we're here to serve another. We are exploited from early to, to late in the day. Um, we toil by the sweat of our brow. And this not, it's not going to change. For generations I've been, now I'm the child. I will grow up, possibly marry one of the Hebrew, the, the, the Hebrew women. We will have children who also would be slaves. And so life goes on. Isn't it a terrible place to be? When an abnormality becomes normative, there's no reluctance, or you become reluctant to change. When an abnormality becomes your norm, it takes away even the intention to seek freedom. Right? You can become so pulverized in your desire to change because of your normalcy is now bondage. Things can become, you know, you can move away so far from God's will. And that can become the norm in your family. And your, your children, you, you, you will not want to change. Your children would not want to change because the standard has been entrenched in the home for so long. And that pattern persists. That is bondage. Right? When you move so far away from, from, from God's purposes. Um, the greatest gift a parent can give a child is a desire to obey God's word. The greatest inheritance you can leave them is that I, will, I may not leave you great wealth, but if I can leave you with a desire, if part of your inheritance is going to be whatever God says, I will do it with all of my heart. You've left your kids a powerful legacy. Amen? You've left your kids a wonderful legacy. If you can teach your kids, whatever money hits your hand, give 10% to the Lord. Guess what you're doing? You, you're inculcating a state of obedience in, your, in the life of your environment that will be passed on from one generation to the, to the next. Okay? If you deviate from the standard, your environment grows up that the norm is not to obey God in certain respects. That norm is carried through. And even when the truth is presented, there will be a reluctance. Listen carefully. I'm going to read the scriptures so shortly to demonstrate this. There's a reluctance to break the norm to restore God's standard because the norm has been so powerfully entrenched. Right? Even Jesus said to the Pharisees, you nullify the word of God by your tradition. Traditions that are not part of God's will have been so established that when God's will is presented, you can't even obey that. Now, look at the scripture in Exodus chapter 6. I want us to read this slowly and carefully, and you'll see exactly the principle. Listen very carefully. Don't let disobedience become so normative 
that it takes away even the power to want to change. Hmm? It takes away even the power to want liberty, to want a new face. Listen carefully. Exodus 6 verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For under compulsion he will let them go. And under compulsion he will drive them out of his land. God further spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abram, Isaac, Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land which they, in which they sojourn. Furthermore, I have heard the groanings of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. I will. Everyone say I will. Notice God's intent. There's something I'm going to do to you. I will. Someone say it again with me. I will. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm with great judgments. I will take you for my people. I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you up from the burdens of the Egyptian. Verse 8. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for your possession. I am the Lord. But look at verse 9. Sad verse. After all of that, verse 9 says, So Moses spoke thus. Everyone says spoke thus. If you read this, check this in your word studies, it means with the same intensity, with the same tenor, with the same frequency as he heard it, he communicated it to the, to the people. But they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. How can, you see, bondage can block your ears to what God is saying. They did not listen to Moses. Why? The the bondage and the slavery that they experienced was so long and so cruel. It blocked them off even to good news. Hmm? Have you ever met someone that's in the vice of some problem? And you say to the person, I have a way out. Do X, Y, Z. The person doesn't hear you. Because the cruelness of what they've experienced closes their ears off to the, to the outcome, to the solution of the problem. The people rejected, what, they rejected God and God's messenger. And notice all the I wills here. God says, uh, yeah, it says, and the Lord said, uh, they did not listen to him because of their cruel bondage and their levels of despondency. Tell your neighbor, shake out of your despondency. That's why depression and discouragement is a powerful negative force. You, you can get so despondent that even when you hear the word of the Lord, you reject it. Right? You hear the word of the Lord, you reject it. I think when we did the, the, the Prosperity of the Soul series, we discussed this verse. And uh, in the New American Standard, it says because of shortness of spirit. Right? Or smallness of spirit. Your spirit can be so pulverized into almost an insignificant place because the, the discouragement in the soul has so predominated 
Because you've got to hear with your spirit, not your soul. But your spirit is so pulverized, God speaks. But the despondency or levels of discouragement in one's soul is so predominant that the word of the Lord can't access your spirit. My words that I speak, they are what? They are spirit and they are, they are life. That is why, remember when Elijah was discouraged after Jezebel threatened him. He defeated 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, remember? And he went down into the valley. And he said, you know, he was so, so, he became almost suicidal. So discouraged. He said, Lord, take my, take my life. God never, ever gave him further instructions thereafter. God first comes to him and said, Elijah, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Then the Bible says, God sends, I think, a raven to feed him, etc. And, and he sleeps. God makes sure. That I can't speak to this guy in the present state he's in. He needs a good rest. He needs some chow. He's hungry. Right? He needs some food. Let him rest. And then when he arose, the Bible says he ate some meat. And the Bible says um, the Lord gave him instructions to anoint certain kings. And he went in the power of that meat, the scripture says, for the next 40 days. Just, he goes like in a 40-day fast based upon the meal that he ate after the Lord restored him. So the, basically the Lord is, was saying to him, I can't talk to you. You're so discouraged right now. You th- you, your thoughts are suicidal. You're not going to hear whatever I say. And sometimes you can become so the bondage of life, the circumstances of life can deal so cruelly with you that it blocks you off to God speaking. But I want to encourage you, don't be downcast. Why so downcast, O my soul? Hope thou in God, for I will yet praise Him for the help of His, for the help of His, of His countenance. So I want to encourage you. Um, Egypt makes you impotent and reluctant to pursue the path of freedom and prophetic destiny. You're reluctant to go ahead based upon prior experience. And I want to encourage you, no matter what this year has represented to you, that we're going ahead. But as the new is presented to you, don't respond with a lack of faith and unbelief based upon your own despondency. Because God's will is not contingent upon your internal state. God's will will always triumph. Come hell or come high water, we are leaving Egypt. Right? God is saying, I have an intention. So God has to work around the state of His people to receive the will and to receive God's messenger um, for that purpose. And so they could be released. Secondly, um, an Egyptian experience produces fear, right? And this I felt, I even wrote a separate study early this morning, if I can find this somewhere in my notes, produces fear in people that paralyzes them for, to engage in certain realities or purposes that God has earmarked for you, okay? Now, do you recall, in, let me just quote the verse, But the Bible says this about Moses. By faith he left Egypt. How did he leave Egypt? It says by faith he left Egypt. Everyone say you must have faith. Faith is opposite to fear. Faith is to God what fear is to the devil. 
For the enemy's will to succeed, he needs the presence of fear. Anything demonic thrives on fear. Not so. If there's fear, the demonic is empowered to function because it wants people locked in fear to express its will. So what fear is to the, to the, to the realm of the demonic, faith is to God. Right? So he who comes to God without faith, it is impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Now this is an amazing scripture. Please watch. I walk how? By faith and not by sight. So I don't walk based upon my appraisal of things in the natural, by what I see in the physical. What my eyes are to me in the natural, faith is sight in the spiritual. So whenever I think of the concept of faith, the first thing that I think of is not cars, houses, buildings, and things. Right? Truly quoted, Hebrews 11, 1 should read. Uh, now faith is the substance hoped for. The word of things is in italics in your Bibles. Faith's pursuit is not things. Faith's pursuit is the substance in God. Right? Now faith is the substance hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So think about this. Moses, the Bible says, Moses had faith because Hebrews 11 clearly says it. By faith, he left Egypt. Now, if Moses' understanding of faith wasn't like the modern Pentecostal understanding of faith, if you go to Moses and uh, if most modern-day Pentecostal prosperity preachers go to Moses and say, Oh, bro, you have faith. What you got? What you got? What you got? Moses, no, I used faith to leave a domain. My faith caused me to disconnect from something illegal. That's what faith is to me. I did not use faith to get cars, houses, building things. I used faith to bring myself into a position of greater accuracy in line with the purposes of God. So he, everyone say he saw something. Even if you read, please read another, some more homework, read Hebrews chapter 11. Homework. Hebrews chapter 11. Eh? You'll see that it says, by faith, Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. Right? Faith to Moses was a sight in the spirit that he had. And he endured because his eyes were set on a builder, uh, on a, a city whose builder and maker was, was the Lord. And I want to encourage you, if you cannot see it, you will not enter into it. Tell your neighbor, open your eyes. Open your eyes in this season. It's not a season for blindedness. I'm praying to the Lord, show me realities in the spirit that I can venture into in the natural. Because if I take my cue from what I see in the, in the natural, it, everything around me tells me I should not be going, I should not be pursuing. But I'm, 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 I'm basing natural uh, decisions upon a perspective, a sight that I have in the in the spirit. So it says, by faith he left Egypt. And this is what it says, not fearing the wrath of the king, Pharaoh. Hmm? It's an amazing verse. Repeat after me, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Tell your neighbor, no fear. If, you, if you're going to please God, 
You're going to have to break the fear of man. You're going to have to break fear and intimidation. Let me read what I wrote in my notes. Listen carefully. The very essence of bondage is that any attempt to break free of it produces fear and anxiety. It's the nature of bondage to keep you entrapped. And any thought of breaking free itself, even the thought of freedom, produces fear and anxiety. Should we? I mean, think of yourself being caged for 14 days in some backside of some jungle. You're kidnapped or something. Right? And they traumatized you. The thought of you breaking out and the possible consequences of being caught again is in fact a limiting factor to your wanting to break free. Bondage has that effect. It entraps the person bound and almost breaks the intention to want to break free. Please, brethren, I'm sick and tired of bondage at all levels. I'm saying no more will this be the feature of my life. And even if, you know, some of us, we think of a higher order of life, a greater quality of life, breaking out from where we are presently. And even that thought is sometimes squashed within us because we are too afraid to venture there, to the unknown. But I want to encourage you, break free. Tell your neighbor, I declare you free. This was a massive detour this morning. I had other thoughts, but I felt the Lord really um, speak to me this morning that I need to, we need to break the fear of intimidation. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing. If, if Moses came before Pharaoh and feared him, as the think of what Pharaoh represented in his day. His name means, I destroy everything. There's nothing that stands in my way. Right? And he's the greatest political and military and economic empire in the then known world. In his day, Moses is standing before what was probably the most mightiest person on the planet in his time. And he has to confront that spirit. And so when he comes before him, the, the state of his sight in the spirit by faith needed to be so sharp that when he stands before this intimidating uh, a ruler, no fear needed to be in him. The presence of fear would have paralyzed the purposes of God. So I want to encourage you, no fear. Tell your neighbor, no fear. Then if, listen carefully, it says, I'll read my notes to you. As it's extreme, this is expressed, listen carefully, in obsessive compulsive behavior or personality disorder, where the person is compelled to perform certain activities consistently in a bid for acceptance and failure to do so results in deep psychological trauma. Right? Many people function or perform for acceptance or approval. And the thought of failure in your performance, because you need to perform to receive the approval of men, so the thought of failure as you perform so traumatizes you because that is necessary to, 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 in terms of your own estimation of yourself, in terms of who you think you are. That is why never ever base your identity on what you do or how you look or who you are. Because the day when it, when, when it hits you, 
that you're unable to perform or look that way, the part, then your identity is in serious question. Hmm? How many people get their identity from their status? How many people get this sense of self-worth from the type of clothes they wear? How many people get their sense of identity from their education levels? And the moment that is compromised, the person is pulverized. That is bondage. Everyone say bondage. bondage. Now you might think, oh, he's talking about Israel coming out of Egypt. I'm saying there might be a whole lot of Egypt in you that you need to break free from. Anything. Repeat after me, anything. Anything to which you are enslaved represents an Egyptian principle thriving in you. And so long as that is the case, firstborn sonship reality will not become a living experience for you. Because you need to break the power of Egypt to release the firstborn. Sonship needs to come to a heightened maturity. And everything, every Egyptian principle needs to be broken. Amen? It needs to be broken. So, this morning, are there many things, and we'll probably get to the others next week. There are many things, but I want to just encourage us this morning. Deal with the issue of fear. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the anger or the wrath of the, of the king. Right? Not fearing the wrath of the king. Now, I want to quote a couple of scriptures to you. Let me just, let me just, let me just um, give you the third principle and I'll quote the scriptures. The third principle is this. Bondage is a consequence of being overcome, of being overwhelmed, of being overcome by, by something. Right? Now, I want to read to you a verse of scripture in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 19. Listen. 2 Peter 2 and verse 19. Promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves to corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is also enslaved. I want to focus on the last part of that verse. By whatever a man is overcome, by this he is a slave to. Okay? So whatever, you, whatever overcomes you, you are in bondage to. That's why the Bible says in the book of Romans, sin shall not have dominion over you because sin is not your master. Right? Righteousness is your master. If you willingly subject yourself to the dictates of sin, sin becomes your master and you become in bondage. You become in bondage to it. Right? Now, anything you fear or overcome by, you are actually in bondage to. I'll say it again. Anything you fear, you're in bondage to. Anything you fear, you are overcome by. And you are in bondage to. You know what Job said at the end of his trial? He said, the thing that I feared the most has come upon you. I want to relate this to be very important. Anything you fear has power over you and you're in bondage to. Job was a wealthy man, he was a righteous man, but he harbored a subtle uh, fear in him that he could lose everything, lose his, all his assets and his entire family could die. And he actually said in his words, the thing that I harbored as a fear within me has come upon me. So never ever entertain fear of any kind. 
Because the presence of fear empowers the thing to come to pass. You know, David said, you are my hiding place. Psalm 32. You surround me with songs of deliverance. He said, what time I am afraid, I will trust in you. He's not saying I will not fear. He just says, if ever fear presents itself to me, what time I am afraid, he said, I will trust in, in you. Be careful that you fear that your car will be stolen. Probably will. Because you're harboring something within you that says to the entire demonic world, there's a fear present there that's going to attract power for it to come to pass. Hmm? Break the fear of you losing your spouse. Tell your spouse you'll live a very long time. Don't harbor that fear. Break the fear of failure. You know why many people don't start businesses? You're already starting on a negative that, hey, this thing's going to fail one day. Well, you will have whatever you say. If you harbor or accommodate fear, you empower it to come to pass. So break fear. That's why I want to quote you the verse again. And Moses, by faith, forsook or left Egypt, not fearing the anger of Pharaoh. The anger or the wrath of the king was the greatest threat to him, to his purpose. That element, listen carefully, I speak prophetically, that element that singularly represented the greatest threat to God's purposes being accomplished in his life and for the nation had to be dealt with. Who comes before the greatest man on the earth with confidence? Moses came. And he came with Aaron. Is there a stammering problem? But he came. He had a whole lot of things going against him in his personality, in, in, in his talent, etc. But he came before him and he said, I don't fear you. Thus saith the Lord, release my son, my firstborn son, let him go. Hmm? No fear. He disconnects for a, from a realm that could have severely judged him uh, penalized him, but he, he expressed no fear in it at all. Now, listen carefully. Let me quote to you, just in the last remaining five minutes, a few verses, then we'll, we'll close. Hebrews 2, verses 14 to 15 says, Therefore, since, we are, since the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who has the power over death that is the devil, that he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. So what does this verse say? Did Jesus destroy death? Did Jesus destroy the power of death? Yes. This verse says, so long as death was present in power, people lived, it says, all their lives in slavery and in bondage to the fear of death. But the moment the power of death is broken, he breaks the power that that element has over people's life, causing them fear. Since he did that, Paul says confidently in 1 Corinthians 15, Oh death, talks to death. Oh death, where is your sting? Oh grave, where is your victory? Jesus destroyed the power of death. Now you and I can face death in confidence and with no fear at all. I'll tell your neighbor right now, maybe some of you might be experiencing this. Do not be afraid of death. 
especially the young people here, tell a fellow young person next to you, I am not afraid of death. Amen. Hmm? I I'm not afraid of death. No fear of death. Because right? it says, if we fear it, we live the rest of our lives in bondage to it. Whatever you fear, you are in bondage to. Whatever you fear has power over you. The moment you can break the fear of a thing, you're released to overcome the thing. Amen? No fear. Put a big uh, sign. No fear. Put on your BB status, your WhatsApp or Facebook or whichever. Put no fear. The moment you fear, you are crippled to enslavement. And the moment you have any... Here's where I'm going. Listen carefully. The moment you have any kind of enslavement, firstborn sonship, practical expression, is paralyzed. You'll never come to that place where you operate in boldness and in faith because you harbor certain fears. What if, what if, what if? And it stifles you, it paralyzes you. Amen? So no fear. Proverbs 29 and verse 25. It's a lovely verse. It says, the fear of man brings a snare. The fear of man is a trap. Do you know that? If you fear somebody, the fear of man is a trap. What did David say in Psalm 23? Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they, they, they comfort me. It says, even though I walk to the to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So you needn't fear any expression of, of evil. Do you have a good sleep at night? All of you. Yes. Yes. Uh, you must have a good sleep at night. Right? Yes. Yes. He gives his beloved sleep. Uh, he gives to his beloved in his sleep. I want to encourage you. We want to break fear at every level. Break the fear of attempted breakings at your home. And have a good sleep. <laughs> you know why some people won't travel? What if the plane crashes, they say? <laughs> Your fear is going to stifle you into a lifestyle less than what God has planned for you. Any kind of fear is limiting. Any kind of fear holds one in, in bondage. Amen? Who's ready to bungee jump after this message? <laughs> I'm not talking about that now, okay? The Lord must still work with me with that one. (laughs) Hmm? Don't fear. Fear will almost limit you in terms of doing God's will. You know what? They they, 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 they tied a band, Agabus did, over Paul's hands. And he said, such will the Jews at Jerusalem do to the man that owns this belt. In other words, they're telling Paul, when you go to Jerusalem, they're going to tie you up, imprison you in this possible death. On hearing that, the Bible says the brothers tried to persuade Paul not to go. Paul rises up and says, no, now all the more reason why I want to go. Right? He says, because for, for, for the Lord has spoken to me that chains and imprisonments await me wherever I go. That's Paul's mentality. Right? Paul did not interpret the prophecy as a reason not to go. Because of fear of the brothers. I mean, imagine if I say to you, we went to Nakala next trip, and right now there's severe civil war, and people, especially ministers of the gospel, in that city are being incarcerated and beheaded. And we've got this apostolic school planned right in the middle of everything, right next door to the headquarters of this group. 
Hmm? What will you say? No, Padre, don't go. Please don't go. Maybe, maybe postpone this trip. What is God saying? Now, there was a similar situation with Paul. Paul rises up and says, no, no, no. It's all the more reason why I must go. He says, because the Lord has witnessed in my spirit that fears, that, 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 that chains and bonds await me where? wherever I go. And he makes this statement. Classic Pauline statement that I love very much. He says this, I do not count my life dear unto myself. If by any means I might finish my course and the ministry that the Lord Jesus has given to me. What his cry was, I want to finish. I want to finish. He says, by any means I want to finish my course. And did he finish? Second Timothy 4, he says, I have finished my course. In Acts 20, he says, I want to finish. In 2 Timothy 4, he said, I have finished. But what militated possibly against that? The presence of fear in everyone around him. That's why, listen carefully. Your state of fearlessness must not be impacted by the deep state of fear in those around you. Everybody in your world can be saying, no, 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 no. But you are saying, I go, I go, I go. Right? I want to encourage you, no fear. Amen? Amen? Don't be fearful concerning anything. You know when you walk to the valley of the shadow of death, if, 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 if there's a shadow, it means the thing is near. Not so? If you see my shadow, you must know I'm, I'm very close to you. <laughs> I'm not too far away, it's right near. So when, when David says, even though I walk to the valley of death's shadow, I will fear no evil. And I was thinking about this. For a shadow, you need light. You need the object matter. And you need light behind the shadow. And what did David say in Psalm 27? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So even when death's shadow comes about you, please know that there's a light greater than it shining, and that's the Lord's presence garrisoning you. Amen? No fear. Tell somebody again, no fear. You know when you're fearful, you, 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 you caught a whole lot of consequences that are not part of God's making. Right? Remember Abraham went down to Egypt. The Bible says, and Sarah was the most beautiful of women. Don't play with Father Abraham. He had good taste. Eh? Our matriarchs were, were women of great, great beauty. And she was, hey, she was 99 years old and still turning heads. Read the count. She was a, this was, wasn't a young Vira woman. This was, we're talking a woman in, in the 90s and still courting the view of kings. Kings wanted her. And yes, she was a bomb. <laughs> okay. In our colloquial language. But listen carefully. It happened twice. If you want the reference, it's Genesis 12 and Genesis 20. Abraham goes down, and the Bible says, and the king desired her. So Abraham says to her, let's lie. He says, Abraham feared, and he lied. You see, the presence of fear opens the door to a whole lot of other sins that you would not ordinarily do to accommodate your, your fear. So he enters into lies. And you'll read also in Genesis 26, his son Isaac does the same. Isaac's wife. What was her name? 
Rebecca was also the most beautiful woman. Tell your neighbor, don't play with our matriarchs. <laughs> our matriarchs were the most beautiful of women. And the Bible says, and the king, I think of, of Gara, Abimelech, desired her. And like his father, he also lies. And he says to her, please pretend that you are my sister. So if the king desires you, at least they will deal favorably with me. But if they know you're my husband, well, that's the end of my, the end of my life. Whenever we compromise truth, we enter into lies. And we enter into misrepresentation. But you know what Abimelech said to, I think it was to Isaac or to, yeah, to Isaac. He was intending to take uh, Sarah. I think it was Rebecca, one of the two of them. And the Lord gave him, visited him, visited him in a dream that night. And says, don't you dare touch that woman. Right? He gets up the next morning, he calls, uh, I think it was Abraham. Says, he says, in the integrity of my heart, I intended to do this. Listen, he said, it was in my right to do what I intended to do, based on your lie. You were going to cause me to sin. You see how that your fear opens you to lie and causes others to act in innocence in their minds on certain parts, all based upon a lie that makes their action abominable before the Lord. Your fear is not innocent anymore. That's why I'm so, I'm so uh, uh, serious about this issue this morning. Don't fear because it's fertile ground to lead you into areas of sin but also to set up circumstances and events that, that facilitate the sin of others in your environment, that you, it, whose blood will be on, on, on your hands. So fear is not uh, personal or, or private anymore. I want to encourage you. Um, don't fear man. There's one last verse, just quickly. John 12, let me just read the, the last part. I think verse 42 and verse 43. Nevertheless, even the rulers of the people believed him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the approval of man more than the approval of God. Yet it says, um, rulers believed in Jesus, but because they feared people, they did not confess him because they loved the approval of men more than the approval of, of God. Um, the fear of a loss of status prevented them from confessing Christ as their Savior. Let me just say this. In leaving Egypt, Moses has much to lose. He was raised as a prince in the courts of Egypt. He had the highest education that any child could have received in the then known world. The Bible even says he was a man mighty in words. In that court, right? Um, and he, the Bible says he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a for a season. He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Let's read that account. Go to Genesis, uh, Hebrews, chapter eleven. In closing, this is the last closing. I've been quoting this all the while, but I want you to read it as we close. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27. Let's read from verse 24 for the context. 
Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Now he has it. By faith he kept the Passover. Tell you he kept the Passover. Passover, the principles governing his transition. So before you get to Passover, you're going to break the power of fear. Right? You're going to break the spirit of fear. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and of a, of a sound mind. If you're going to enter into Passover into the principles governing migration, you've got to do so without the presence of, of fear. right? And now it says here, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, um, as though they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were were drowned. Notice verse 27. By faith he left Egypt. Verse 28. By faith he kept the Passover. Verse 29. By faith they passed through the Red Sea. Right? By faith he left Egypt. By faith he kept the Passover. But by faith they passed through the Red Sea. What one man did had a corporate result. What one man did in his private capacity facilitated the movement of a whole nation. That's why it's important for you. Let me just say this. I just want to speak prophetically to to all of us. When you break fear of any kind in you, not only will it facilitate your own deliverance, but it's going to facilitate the deliverance of a whole group of people attendant with you. When you um, break out of that domain, it will signal... The, the, the movement of a whole uh, a group of people into a more accurate position in the Lord. And I pray that in this season, our private uh, expressions of obedience will be governed, um, with, 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 with soberness, with understanding. What you do in the kingdom is no more private anymore, because one way or another it's going to have a positive or negative impact upon a whole core of people. Amen? And I pray that you deal with your own bondage, that things that stifle you, because in doing so, you're going to lead many people into a new place of destiny in God. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover, the sprinkling of blood, etc. By faith they passed through the Red Sea. I want to encourage you, don't let your cruel bondage and your great despondency lead you to accept what is not, your, what, what is not God's intention for your life. But come into a new realm of, of freedom. Everyone do this. It's like, break open, break open, say, Lord, I'm tired of the restriction, the confinement, the containment. I want to come into and experience the full realm of possibilities that you had in store for me. 
in leaving Egypt, whatever Egypt represents to you, in leaving that place of bondage, that house of bondage, do not fear the reaction of men. Do not fear circumstances. The Bible says he left not fearing the wrath of the king. And when he left, when he took that decision, here the Bible before it says all of this, it says he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You can't be a son of a system that God's about to judge. You can't be the son of an entity that God's about to wreak havoc in. Right? So he leaves that, comes into place of accuracy, and he sets many people free in the process. So tell your neighbor, set many people free. Set many people free as you come into a new place of liberty. Amen. Lift up, lift up your hands before the Lord. We will not fear the wrath of the king. We will not fear the wrath of intimidation. Any fear within us right now, Father, I pray that you would extract it. Whatever is preventing us from coming into a new place of experience in the natural, in the spirit, in the workplace, in the expression of your purposes for our lives, we ask that you break any kind of fear. The fear of not having enough, break that. Uh, the fear attendant with an orphan mindset, break that. The fear of the future, break that in Jesus' name. I ask the fear of failure, break it in the name of Jesus. The Lord is my light and he is my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? Your word says the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I will not be afraid, your word says, Lord, of 10,000 people who set themselves against me round about. Thou, O Lord, are shield for me. You are my glory, and you are the lifter of my head. I ask in Jesus' name, give us boldness, give us love, give us power, give us a sound mind. You've not given us the demonic spirit of fear, but you've given us your Holy Spirit that gives us confidence to pursue purpose and destiny open our eyes of faith to see realities and not to base our decisions based upon what we see in the natural help us to endure because we see you as invisible i ask in jesus name lord we would come into the full attainment of your purposes i bless everyone this morning in the service i pray your blessing that makes rich and brings no sorrow will be our portion I pray that fear will not settle at any level. Your word says repetitively, fear not, fear not. I have redeemed you. When you walk through the fire, it will not burn you. When you walk through the waters, it will not overpower you. Fear not, says the Lord, for I will be with you. Be reminded of what you said to Abraham after he tied to Melchizedek. You said to him, Lord, fear not, Abraham, for I am your shield. And your reward from me will be very great. We receive those words to us. We will not fear, for you are our shield. And your reward attendant with us is very great. For this we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.